This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. When the Holy Spirit is in a church, the church seeks to be holy. The church does not seek to be politically correct. The church does not seek to please men. The church does not seek places of power and influence for its own gain and its own agendas. The church does not promote what God says is evil as though it's good. The church does not celebrate sin as though that tolerance is something to be proud of. Have you ever been part of a church that tolerates the world? We live in a society that boasts progressiveness, but should we give in as Christians? Today in his message, Pastor Josh wants you to know that no matter what the world throws at you, God's truths will always reign supreme. When the world tells you how to adapt and what to ignore in the Bible, you need to stand firm in God's Word. His promises have always remained and will never change. Remain firm in God's morals and store up treasures in heaven. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of John chapter 15 as he continues his message, The Person. Jesus is saying, in the same way that God came, laid in a manger, lived life on earth, walked with you for three years, died on a cross, rose again from the dead, in the same way God is going to come again, but now he's gonna be in you and reminding you of all the things I have said and done and taught. So the spirit is the spirit of God in Christ. The spirit is sent by the Father and sent by the Son. And thirdly, we see that the spirit works with the Father and works with the Son in equal measure. We see this at the beginning in creation. I read it to you earlier, but Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, check out the Trinity in the very first three verses of the Bible. In the beginning, who created? God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now notice, and the Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of God? It's the Holy Spirit, hovered over the face of the waters. Then God said, the Father, then God, said, let there be light, and there was light. So we have the Spirit hovering over the light. We have the Father speaking. Well, where's Jesus? Then God said, what do you use to say things? They're called words. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. First three verses of the Bible. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Spirit working in perfect unity and power to create the heavens and the earth. But also there's a beautiful work of the Trinity in the work of redemption. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, we read, how much more shall the blood of Christ, the Son, through the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Offer himself without spot to God, the Father, and cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The work of the Spirit was in the work of redemption as God, the Father. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So again, you can't can't divide these. Does our mind comprehend this idea? No, not on the level that we fully understand. But all throughout Scripture, we see 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity working together to accomplish God's will in the earth. And so there's this divine attribute of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit isn't just a force. He is a person of God who was from the beginning, who will be to the end, who worked with God, who worked in creating the world, who worked in saving mankind, who works through and in his people today. But regarding the nature of God, we see that he is divine. He is one with the triune nature of God. But also notice that the Holy Spirit is also uniquely, shall I say, individual. Not that he's separated from God or different than God in any way, but he has a unique role, a unique personality. I think it is sad today that many people treat the Holy Spirit as though he is a force, right? There's probably a good reason everyone's favorite movie is Star Wars, you know? Holy Spirit, you know, I just wheeled him around, kind of. There are others that would say, well, the Spirit's not a force, but he's, he's really just an expression of God's power. No, the Holy Spirit is a personality, an individual who works with the will and power of God. Be careful here. We, we seem to be into a culture that's all into personal pronouns these days. Well, it's interesting in the, in the Gospel of John, four separate occasions, you have the word spirit. It's the word pneuma in the Greek. I'll be talking about that in a moment. But the, the word spirit in the Greek is a, it's a, it's a gender neutral word, right? There's no, spirit is just, it's not male, it's not female. In the gender, it's, it's called the neuter, okay? The neuter form. But in the Gospel of John, four separate times, John ascribes a masculine Greek pronoun to a neuter noun and calls the Holy Spirit him. When he, now this doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is a man, but the Holy Spirit identifies as a person within the masculine. The the Holy Spirit is not called it, but he. And let's explore just a few personal attributes that the scripture communicates to us about the personality of the Holy Spirit. First of all, we see that the Spirit has emotion. The Spirit has emotion. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 tells us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we're told that the Spirit can be saddened, literally brought to grief. We'll talk about more how we grieve the Holy Spirit in the days to come. But the Spirit can be grieved. He has emotion. Hebrews chapter 10, 29, chapter 10, verse 29 tells us the Holy Spirit can be insulted. He can be insulted. You can insult the Spirit of grace by denying the cross of Jesus. It's like a slap in the face. Secondly, we see that the Holy Spirit has intelligence, thought process, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, but God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. Notice, for the spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. Spirit thinks, processes, searches. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit teaches us. It's an intelligent action. He teaches us the things of Christ. The spirit, number three, has interaction People can interact with the Holy Spirit of God all throughout the Bible. 
Old Testament or New, the Spirit of God would come upon people. The Spirit of God would move against people. We see in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. We all know the famous story of Ananias and Sapphira. I doubt they would teach any uh, marriage conferences, first century church. They lied to the church about how much land they owned, and they faked, you know, they pretended like they were giving all this stuff. They were keeping some, ba- some stuff back from this, for themselves. And Peter, under most likely the influence of the Holy Spirit, says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. Again, the implications here practically are many. I could spend the rest of the sermon preaching on, on the context of lying to the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit can be interacted with. He can be, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he can be quenched. Acts chapter 7, verse 51, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. Mark chapter 3, verse 29, the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. He's a person, a person, God in the Spirit. We can interact with him, positively or negatively. Finally, the Holy Spirit has a will. He has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11 tells us that the Spirit work, the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each person, each one, individually, as he wills. When it comes to spiritual gifts, it's the will of the Holy Spirit that decides how to impart the gifts of the Spirit to people for the strengthening of the body of Christ. And think about some of these other things. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit's will, his actions. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the Holy Spirit distributes. Romans 15, 30, the Holy Spirit loves. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, the Holy Spirit performs miracles. Romans 8, 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us on behalf of us to God. John 16, 13, Romans 8, 14, Galatians 5, 18, the Holy Spirit leads and guides. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the Holy Spirit comforts. Does this sound like some immaterial force to you? No. It's a personal God. So we find that the God, the Holy Spirit is divine, yet he's also individual. He's also personal. Secondly, we discover this, that the Holy Spirit is invisible, yet tangible. The Holy Spirit is invisible, yet tangible. I always, as a kid, remember the, the, the old King James version? It's not the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost. It's like Ghostbusters? Or like Casper? What, what's going on? Holy Ghost. Now, if, if I guess in some sense, if, the whole, if, if a ghost can be defined as a spirit of one departed, then in many ways, maybe the spirit of Jesus might be the Holy Ghost. But he is ghostly in that he is experienced and felt, but not seen. I mentioned this earlier, but the Greek word used for spirit and the Hebrew word used for spirit both indicate the same meaning. In Hebrew, it's the word rauk. In Greek, it's the word pneuma. It means air, wind, or breath. Air, wind, or breath. You might recall Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he, what what did he do? He breathed ruach into his nostrils, the breath of life. 
And the man became a living being. And when Jesus looked to his disciples before he went to heaven, remember what he said to his disciples? He said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he what? He breathed on them. It's this idea, this breath of God. Pneumatic, pneuma, pneumatic tools. What are those? Those are like hammers and wrenches that are powered by air. Think about the power of wind. It's amazing how something so invisible can be so powerful. A hurricane-level wind can level a landscape. It can be felt, but you'll never see it. Also, it is with God's spirit. He's, he's airy. He's invisible. And at the same time, he's powerful and real and somehow tangible. You know, the wind has a mind of its own. This hill right here that this church is on is no stranger to wind. Let me tell you that. My first Sunday here, I pulled up, stepped outside, negative 10 degrees or something ridiculous, and the wind was just like... If you don't believe me, just go out and look at the signs hanging off the light posts and tell me what they look like. Here's, here's next, the next windy day up here. I tell you, go out of the church, I dare you. Go against the wind and spit. See if it goes in the direction. <laughs> See if it goes in the direction you're hoping. <laughs> but this is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, verse 8, he said, the, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. God is Numa. He's Ruach. He's like a ghost in that he rides on the wind. He too is unpredictable and he can't be controlled. Over and over and over again in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is likened to wind or to breath. When Jesus imparted again Spirit to his disciples in John 20, he said he breathed on them. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit poured out on the Christian church for all believers, the promise of the Father to empower the church, the disciples in the upper room heard the sound of a mighty rushing. He's invisible, but he's powerful. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's a person. He is the God who is with us and in us, but he's also invisible. He works, yet he's tangible. I think it, it begs the question, And I'm not going to answer it for you, but I want you to think about it. How do you experience the Holy Spirit? Josh, use the E word experience, Ron. Ah! The Holy Spirit wants us to experience. You almost, when you you read the New Testament, you almost get the sense, right? Paul says, pray in the Spirit. Sing in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. It's almost like the Christian life is spiritual or something. Like there's supposed to be this supernatural element to it that doesn't exist outside of understanding or knowing him. Life as a person who is spirit-filled and spirit-empowered ought to look different, feel different, be experienced different, have a different lens, have a different experience overall than the guy next door who's just living his life according to his own dictates of his own heart in his own pleasures, in his own way. Now that guy will experience the Holy Spirit too, but in a different way than you will. Because the Bible says the Spirit, Jesus said, convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
But there are so many interactions and encounters and experiences that God the Spirit wants to have with us. And when I say that, I don't want you to start thinking about merely emotional experiences. I don't want you to start thinking about merely overwhelming, sensational experiences. When I talk about experiences, we're going to talk about this more, but I'm talking about how he sanctifies you, how he convicts you, how he guides and leads you into certain times and certain places where you turn around and you look like, how did I get here? How did this happen? Man, that was the, that was the Spirit's timing. That was the Spirit's direction. That was the Spirit's power. And yes, even He does want us to experience Him with our emotions. I would hate to be involved in a marriage that has no emotional experience. No, God wants, the Spirit wants to engage us on every level of our being. Amen? So the Holy Spirit, he is divine yet individual. He is invisible yet somehow tangible. Thirdly and finally, he is holy. In all this deep diving, let's not miss the obvious. The adjective used of the Spirit is the word holy. Why is that? It's not his first name. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I, it's just, it's a pet peeve, all right? I, I, I don't know why there's this new fad going around of, of calling the Holy Spirit just Holy Spirit. Like you're on a first name basis with him. Oh, you know, me and Holy Spirit. Holy is, is not his first name. He is holy because God is holy. The Spirit himself is holy. The word means to be completely other. I love that Hebrew word for holy. It means to be completely other. What does that even mean? completely off the chart, set apart, different than everything else. And we're told that the Spirit himself is holy, and therefore he makes others holy, and he convicts the world of that which is unholy. And notice what the Spirit is not. It's not the cool Spirit, the relevant Spirit, the nice Spirit, the tolerant Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. Holy is the adjective that describes his nature, The one word that God chose to describe the character and the nature and the work of his spirit was the word holy, which means if it's not holy, it's not God. If on any level it's unrighteous, ungodlike, apart or different from God's character, the Holy Spirit is not in it, not for it, will speak against it, will work against it. He is holy. And I think this brings forth the question in my mind, Do I take the Spirit's holiness seriously? For instance, the Bible says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Therefore, honor God with your body. Flee sexual immorality. For sexual immorality is done against the body. There, Paul is talking about sexual immorality, but it's it's one element. Do I understand the holiness of God, that it drives me to honor his holiness with my own. Be holy, therefore, for your Father in heaven is holy. Yet how many people do things in their bodies and in their minds and with their spirits, subjecting themselves to that which is unholy, unrighteous, and vile? Do I take the Holiness of the Spirit, seriously. The Spirit has inspired every word of Scripture, true or false. For the Word of God is God-breathed, inspired by God. 
Yet how many of us treat the Bible as though it's common, not worthy of priority and value in our lives? Do I take the holiness of the Spirit seriously? Jesus told us again, the Spirit of God would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, yet how many professing believers, especially in today's age, their lives are marked by tolerance of sin, laughter at unrighteousness, and lack of concern for the coming judgment? How could we say, I'm full of the Holy Spirit of God, if my life is marked by all the things that God hates? This is why conviction exists. If the Holy Spirit weren't around or real or active, there would be no conviction because there would be nothing to expose what is unholy within our hearts. The Holy Spirit convicts us. He is holy. By the way, when the Holy Spirit is in a church, the church seeks to be holy. The church does not seek to be politically correct. The church does not seek to please men. The church does not seek places of power and influence for its own gain and its own agendas. The church does not promote what God says is evil as though it's good. The church does not celebrate sin as though that tolerance is something to be proud of. The church pursues the nature of the spirit that is in it, which means if there is a church promoting living for, chasing after carnality, wickedness, sin, not telling people that their sin is going to get them judged, but God just wants, God just affirms their sin. If that is the nature of a church, it is not a holy church, and it is not a church filled with the Spirit of God, but with another spirit. I love what Augustine wrote, Augustine of Hippo, the fourth century bishop. He said, breathe in me, Holy Spirit that my thoughts may be holy. Act in me, Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, Holy Spirit, that I love what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, Holy Spirit, that I may always be holy. May that be our prayer. Because when we start to know the Holy Spirit who is in us for who he is, all of a sudden, Things around us start to look different, you guys. Have you experienced the progression that the longer you walk with Christ, all the things you kind of just wrote off as, oh, that's just entertainment, oh, that's just fun, oh, that's just them being them, all of a sudden become, I see this as God sees it. (laughs) It's not so attractive anymore. I'm not so entertained by that anymore. That's because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, making you more like Christ, shoving things out of you that are not fit for eternity, putting things into you that will last forever. Person of the Holy Spirit. It's my hope that as we move forward studying the Holy Spirit, our hearts will be filled with awe and receptiveness to what the Spirit of God wants to teach us regarding who He is and what He wants to do in our lives and in our church the essence of God in the spirit who is personal, interactive, intelligent, and willful. He was active in creation. He was active in redemption. He expresses us to, to us the will of the Father and of the Son, and he brings forth the holiness of God in our lives and around us in this world to those who are listening. May we open our hearts to the work he wants to do in us. Amen. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, 
we're looking into what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and how that plays out in ministry. In the book of Acts, you notice that the day of Pentecost occurred, ushering in a new era for Christians, experiencing God's presence living inside of them. Jesus had physically left them, but he promised to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. As people experience God's presence in their lives, there's a different way that they live due to this powerful influence. We're told not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. May these messages that you're hearing bring you closer to God and bring about changes in you that can only be attributed to His Holy Spirit working inside you. If you'd like to hear additional messages from this series called Ministry of the Spirit, go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Media tab. The Ascending Life Ministry is an outpouring of what's going on at Grace Calvary in St. Joseph, Missouri. Our heart is for people to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to learn more about Pastor Josh? Simply hop onto our website, theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's all the time we have for today. Make plans to join us again because there's more to learn about God and His Spirit right here on The Ascending Life. We're